Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Sean. This is Alex. And you're listening to yet another episode of Coaster Games, Games Radio. Radio. Today we are continuing our Insight series, uh, where we take a deeper look into a park, kind of look at the history a little bit, and then go around the park in whichever direction and talk about you know, most of its attractions. And today we are talking about Bruce Gardens Williamsburg. A fan favorite. We love Bruce Gardens. Yes. Williamsburg. At Tampa. But also Williamsburg. Yeah. And um, God, we went for the first time. I went for the first time in 2018. That was my first, first time. time? Yep. Oh, so That's great. Right. So our first time we went together. Yep. And then we went again a couple months, a couple weeks ago, really. Yeah, a great. Um, yeah. A great visit. Beautiful summer weather. It all just works out pretty well. And um, I'm just reminded of how much I love the park. Um, so we're going to just kind of talk about all the reasons that we do love it and maybe things that we don't love about it, I suppose. Uh, we'll start off a little bit of the history. Um, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg was part of a larger investment made by the Anheuser-Busch company in the Williamsburg area that included a resort and a brewery, and the park opened in 1975 as Bush Gardens, the old country, because, you know, it was themed to the old countries of colonies, <laughs> I suppose. The old, yeah, all the, the countries that American citizens had immigrated from. Well, or like those that actually had started colonies, right? Because France, Italy, Italy didn't start a colony. No. That's okay, whatever. It was themed yeah. to Europe, I suppose, <laughs> which is, I think, why they changed yeah. the name eventually to Europe, yeah. but... Busch Gardens Williamsburg was the fourth Busch Gardens amusement park. Well, actually, okay, so it's a little complicated. The first Busch Gardens was actually the one in Pasadena. That was, like, the dude's personal, like, garden backyard thing. And that didn't even make it into the 40s. Like, and it wasn't really a theme park, per se. But the, the Busch Gardens theme parks were built and named after the original Pasadena Busch Gardens. And these were the ones that were actually parks and not just like a garden like an actual like a a city park versus a theme park so we have bush gardens tampa the oldest which opened in 1959 and then in van nuys in north los angeles they opened bush gardens los angeles that operated from 1964 until 1979 i think magic mountain killed so close this park 25 minutes to magic yeah, yeah 1972 close. bush gardens van nuys expanded with like the log flume and stuff like that was their strike against magic mountain but the expansion and in fact they added another monorail and a big aviary and stuff but that was it was too little too late like magic mountain spanked them and disneyland also hit a stride with like roller coasters and stuff in the late 70s so if, if anyone's wondering why the Busch Gardens Los Angeles didn't pan out, look no further than what the other parks in the region were doing in the late 70s, Knott's Berry Farm, too, building coasters. So, uh, And then uh, an often forgotten uh, park altogether is the third Busch Gardens Park in Houston, which was only ran for three seasons. Yeah, and wasn't it was, that one kind of Asian theme? Yeah, it was an Asian-themed Busch Gardens. It did, I don't know why. I don't know if they just did it because they... I don't know what the point was or like why, but that was also kind of just ill-conceived. Well, I guess it kind of makes sense because you had, you know, you had your Bush Gardens and yeah, Bush Gardens Africa. Africa. I don't exactly know where the one in Los Angeles was themed to. It didn't really being have a like theme in the middle of a yeah. track. I guess it was just tropical. And then the one in Houston was themed to Asia, I suppose. Like Europe was the last theme for. Uh, yeah, you know. it was just. It seemed like an odd fit, and it just never caught on. Astro World was already open and hugely successful. But when you think about how large Houston was, I can understand yeah. what we're thinking. Like, William, maybe, you know, Houston, two regional, two regional parks many small there. parks have tried to make it work in Houston. Like, 
this reminds me also of the little, the small Hanna-Barbera park that King's Entertainment tried to do in the Houston area that lasted one year. Um, but yeah, and then so finally the, uh, the, the fourth major Busch Gardens park and the first one to really emphasize rides because like the Houston park, all of these parks opened with like a scenic boat ride, maybe a train ride. The Garden Folk. The Van Nuys <laughs> Park added the log flume. Busch Gardens, Tampa Animal was heavy. adding rides. But Houston really never had rides. It had just the boat. And then um, and then Busch Gardens Williamsburg was like, we need to build rides. And I think that was because they knew they were going to compete directly with King's Dominion. It was the only Busch Gardens Park to open with, with a roller coaster, for example, or open with a log flume. Um, and then 20 years later, the development of Port Aventura, of course, anybody who's been to Port Aventura can see that there is like Bush Bones, <laughs> Bush Gardens fingerprints all over it. Like it feels a lot like Bush Gardens Williamsburg, but instead of four countries, it's four corners of the world or five corners of the world. So it's kind of a shame. Like Anheuser Busch really did a fabulous job with with theme park design because their last two projects are still regarded as two of the most sensational theme parks in the world. Even though we talk a lot about Port Aventura and how it's deteriorated, like you can still tell that the design aspect of that park was pretty much unbeatable um, for its day. Yeah, for sure. Good bones, good bones. So Bush Gardens Williamsburg did open with 16 areas. Um, Banbury Cross, pretty much England. Heather Downs, Scotland. Hastings, another English area. Rethemed to the Irish Killarney. Killarney. Killarney area. <laughs> 2001. Uh, Aquatin, France, New France, which is Canada, Rheinfeld, which is West Germany, and then Phase 2 of the park would actually include the opening of a seventh area, which is to be a variant-themed Oktoberfest, um, which is just one year after opening. And then the Italian-themed San Marco um, area was an expansion to the park, which was added in 1980, and so would its sister area in 1987, uh, Fiesta Italia. Um, so I guess when the park opened, it perhaps have more to do with original settlers. Um, you know, when you look at yeah. the original kind of countries. It was definitely dominated and by English. it kind of became like a Europe thing. I it guess. was definitely dominated by England and France. And funny enough, the 10th themed area came all the way in 2009, which is Sesame Street Forest of Fun, which had to do with the Blackstone um, uh, acquisition. Acquisition, probably. Uh, because that also happened in 2009. So that's yeah. All, and Arthur Bush sold all the Seawold parks to, and, and obviously... Bush Gardens Parks to Blackstone Group, and that's also when like the Shamu Happy Harbors and stuff started starting to get involvement from the uh, the Sesame Street yeah. characters. So I'm sure that was all related to one yeah. another. Sesame Street is the only <laughs> the only area in Bush Gardens Williamsburg that is not themed to a real place, but a place in our imaginations, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Water Country USA opened in 1984 and was acquired by Anheuser Busch to become part of Busch Gardens Williamsburg in the 90s. I believe it was 1997. And if, yeah, I guess I didn't know that originally <laughs> that it was not actually always part of it. Yeah, because in my head, I'm like, all right, you know. I guess it was just was built, you know, on the to to on the coattails of compliments of it, kind of spot because they're right next to each other. Yeah, and like I was looking up brochures and stuff from the 90s earlier and the park map for 1997 for bush gardens has the top half is alpengeist and the bottom half is water country so i'm guessing that was the year that they uh, it was, acquired because yeah. they were pushing water country just as hard and then in uh, 1999 bush gardens williamsburg launched the annual halloween event hollow scream which now is at um all major bush six flags uh, sorry bush sea world parks 
So uh, originally it was uh, the Busch Gardens Parks, so, uh, Williamsburg, Tampa, and then Seawolf San Antonio got it, and then Seawolf San Diego and Orlando got it. So now like everyone has a house. Orlando's is really recent, right? Yeah, so is San Diego. Yeah. yeah, they're both post-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, after Anheuser Busch was sold to Imbev, right? That's yeah, Imbev, the, yeah, yeah, the Belgian garden company. Uh, in twenty in two thousand eight, the ten parks that were part of the company were sold to the Blackstone Group in two thousand nine. And then the same year, uh, was when Christmas Town was added. So I think yeah. a lot of what we know is like modern SeaWorld and yeah. which gardens and stuff. All kind of has to do with Blackstone Group yeah. taking over. Events, intellectual I do properties, like the golden age of Bush Gardens and SeaWorld to be kind of around oh nine. Like it yeah. was really. You know the Manta days. Yeah. Oh were, yeah, they were doing great stuff. Yeah, it was, those it, was cool, it was cool times. Adventure parks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the main part of the episode, and uh, just kind of do a grand tour of Bush Gardens, Williamsburg, and uh, we'll start where the entrance is ish, because the entrance is kind of like in a mashup of areas. But yeah. Officially, I think the entrance is England. I feel like this park, right? The layout is kind of a mess. It's like, a hot mess. Nobody talks about that. The I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful park, and the topography is awesome, but. I don't know if people talk about the fact that, like, navigating this place is, is kind of a wreck. Um, I feel like the, the poor England area, like, yeah, it's the entrance plaza, and it's cute. It's got, like, their little clock tower and stuff. Yeah, all the flags. It, it doesn't really have a ride. It's the liaison to the Sesame Street Forest of Fun, and it has a Skyride station. Yeah, which I guess Sesame Street Forest of Fun is, you know, a pretty substantial attraction but funny enough is not actually considered yeah. on the park it's map part it's of own England. stamp yeah. it's like an attraction in England which is yeah. oh it is part of England yeah when I map. looked at uh, when I look at the park map uh, you know it has like has everything labeled by what oh, areas they are so it's just fun it's the same as like you know Invader or whatever like the that, same kind of font same it's not like a big bolded street sign kind of thing that's pretty funny so I was like alright I guess that it's technically English so it's an attraction English in England name. okay yeah. I mean sure but I guess it's kind of an attraction I mean it's hard to go label yeah. like you know Tiny kitty rides and make it. I don't even think any of the SeaWorld parks do that. I think they really just label the areas as an attraction. You know. I remember the rumors that they were going to put a sesame place in the parking lot. Yeah, there was a rumor to make. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it was still on the table because, um, you know, we have sesame place in Diego now, which is quite large. Yeah. Really. Um, massive slide lineup, roller coaster, flat rides. I mean, I um, bet they could support it. Park. Yeah, I think I think they could really. Um, and then there's a Skyride station in England. Now, the Skyride here is quite interesting because the Skyride has, it's like a one-way Skyride. Mm -hmm. and, and it has three stations. Exactly. And it's a big triangle. It has three stations, big triangle. And the line will be like super long in one station and then like super short in another station. I think our first time riding, we were so frustrated because you had to get off every time. But this time we rode, we actually were able to stay seated once. We went, we yeah, one England of the stations had like new. To line. France. So yeah. France, we got to just go again. And then we got yeah. to Germany, and the line is like probably a good 20, 30 minutes. It's like so packed. And I'm like, all right, great. I guess I'm not doing the full triangle because I'm not waiting again in line. Because the hops are quite short. But it is scenic. And if you like being all among, among the coasters, um, we get such good views of like Loch Ness Monster, Griffin, Alpen Guys. Like that's kind of like the area that, that the Skyride covers in the triangle. And that's that's pretty cool. I think it's one of my favorite things about the ride. Yeah, <laughs> and that's England. And that's England. That pretty, not yeah, much to that, it. That's, that's I mean, there's a pretty credit and Sesame yeah. Street Forest of Fun. I'm looking at the map now, just because I'm like so intrigued. Yeah, and it's just funny what a mess. Like you exit the England area and you kind of hit this intersection where you continue to Scotland, but there's it's like a four way intersection. I, mean, I guess it kind of works that it's all of the the British Isles. But then if you hang a left, you're yeah. still in England. Like, you make a hard left, and then you pass 
through the Sesame Street Forest to Fun sort of plaza to get to the Skyrides. I don't know. Well, what the first, what the R sixty three or R sixty two fan in me absolutely loves is that the little <laughs> triangle of England, Scotland, Ireland has um, like transportation rides, kind of like as hubs. So yeah. You kind of go into the park, and including having uh, obviously yeah, Skyride. Scotland has the train and station. And then the train station. Which is kind England of cool. has the yeah. Skyride. Yeah, that makes sense. Which direction are we going in? We're uh, going in the direction of the oh, list. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I see. We're going to France. No, we're going to Scotland. Oh, yeah, we have to go to Scotland first. Yes. Then we go to France. Scotland, Ireland, France. Okay, yeah. So Loch Ness Monster definitely dominates Scotland's offerings, but before Loch Ness Monster opened, the main attraction in Scotland were the Clydesdales, which are still there. I think they're like the most Anheuser-Busch kind of stable. Like staple, I should say. I guess I don't ever think of this park as like being an animal park, but they've got their animal exhibits. They do have like the sheep in England. Like in the underneath the Skyride station, like the takeoff and landing section, and then they've got the horses and a dog apparently, according to the map. It's like a sheep dog. Am I, am I looking at this correctly? Is I it a, maybe? It's, no, it's, it's one a, of those border collie dogs dog. that like runs out of the sheep. Yeah, sheep. and then we have the wolves later. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there are some animals here, but they're like cursory compared to the animal components of the other parks. Um. But yeah, it's all about it's Loch Ness Monster. Loch Ness Monster is the iconic aerodynamics double looper interlocking loops and a enclosed helix that never seems to end. And a lot of pacing issues. So my first time riding Loch Ness Monster, I still remember very vividly not liking it that much because <laughs> big Viper guy riding Viper at Six Flags Magic Found on like the daily and um, we had just ridden and a condo nearby at um, Bush, not a Bush, uh, King's Dominion in Doswell. And so we were like, okay, you know, those Viper and Anaconda are kind of similar in its approach, roughness, size, maybe. Um, but then Loch Ness Monster just felt like very Generation 1, kind of like a mind train with a loop. Um, didn't do a whole lot for me. I kind of thought it was boring. But I will say on a revisit, I absolutely loved it. I mean, the drop was much more pronounced for me this time. I thought... Having a drop towards the water and having another drop, even if there's breaks on the drop, um, good loops are are, are strong. Um, the kind of mind training esque moments on the ride, I kind of actually appreciate a lot more now. It, you know, I feel like the ride's quite unique. And having that long ass helix, where if you there's a photo, if I'm not mistaken, the, there's a camera in there, right? That flashes, and then you can kind of see. Oh, it's just like a strobe. Oh, yeah, it's like a strobe, whatever it is. And you can kind of just, like, see it, you know, the track all around you. And it's so densely packed in there. It must be, like, at least three, if not four, Ulysses kind of packed in there. And um, that that's kind of cool. And the cool thing is, for 2024, Lagnas Monster is getting, like, a major, major refurbishment with a theme queue and, like, all these theming elements in the tunnel. And uh, I'm excited to see what Bush Gardens is going to do to celebrate that ride a little bit more. Yeah, I, was, I liked it better this time around, I guess. We wrote it in 2018. I guess I was just disappointed. I had high hopes. I had expectations. This time, my expectations, I guess, were where they needed to be. Uh, it really, that drop into the first vertical loop is a rough one. And it's, like, rough on your spine. It's, it's a little rough. But I didn't think it was as bad as I remembered it being the first time we wrote it. And then I just feel like it's a disjointed ride. You really, it troubles itself. You could tell that at the time when it was designed, it was, like, it troubled itself a lot with positioning itself so that the loops would 
interlocked. The trains would navigate yeah. the, the loops separate, you know. At the same time. And, it, like, because you just, you, that helix, you, you hit the mid-course, you do the helix, and then you go up a lift hill. You go down a drop. It, it kind of feels like, I just feel like there, I wish there was more ride. Well, like, we'll say it did, it does, uh, um, yeah, there isn't much to the ride because you have your lift, your initial lift hill, drop, turn, drop, loop, brake run, um, helix. Giant helix. and then Lift hill, drop, loop, brake run. There, yeah. there really isn't anything to, but yeah. when the ride was built, I mean, there was a lot yeah. still. So I guess I have to respect the history there. It's like going to uh, you know, original Arrow Corps for being like, wow. Yeah. What do you mean? It's That's only true. like Yeah, when you compare it to it. like parks that were building, I mean, like that same year, Jaga Lake opened a double cork, you know. Parks were building these like thousand foot long looping coasters. So Loch Ness Monster was... the loop was the ride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like di- early yeah. early dive coasters, you know, like the drop is the drop. I guess the ride. I guess just looking at it now, it just feels like it does, it just doesn't do much for how big and long it is, but it's it's a beautiful ride. It looks cool. It's It's pretty chill. Um, and so Ireland has oh yeah they've got their they have their scream and swing now which looks better than it I, look better in person, person than I realized it would when they first built it I was like wow this area like the approach to Ireland suddenly got really ugly like they definitely had to cut down a lot of trees to accomplish this I feel like the Skyride experience changed a lot with the trees that they cut down but I don't know. And well, I would I say where it's located, it works pretty well because it is still between like very tall trees. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's like, too imposing on the area, and, and it adds something to having that bridge over there and being able to see the ride kind of swing over the water um, a little bit. I, I think it is actually a better fit than I expected by far. And um, the same with Saragani Flyer. I think it's actually not a bad it's thing a that, 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 that the chain is adding so many of them. Mm-hmm. Because then there's the one over the lake at Seward San Antonio, the really tall one. I just I think overall, all things considered, it could be a lot worse. And I think the color scheme is cool, the orange and the green, and the kind of almost like a, like Stonehenge kind of rock work theme that they put on the support pillars despite it just being spray painted, I think. But um, I think all things considered, it looks pretty good. Um, and given the lack of attractions really near the front of the park, oh, totally. I think it was needed because besides like it. Loch Ness Monster, which is pretty close to the entrance, um, there really is not much near the entrance. You really have to go and travel to get to your first ride. So you really yeah. do. Yeah, this area of the park needed this ride bad. Especially because they're kind of, I don't feel like they don't know what to do with their motion simulator area. They used to have a like Star Tours style motion simulator ride. When it, was, it when it was Hastings, of, uh, and no, then we went 2018. It was something. There was else. it was a three. It was the battle for something. Battle Ire or something. Ire. Yeah. So it was like a, it was like a 3D movie, and but that only lasted like two years. That was like the new attraction for 2018, and it didn't serve. It didn't come back after COVID. Yeah, I thought it was really like VR related. Um, I yeah, I think it was I think VR. It was VR, and that, you know that yeah. was like when everyone was doing VR, yeah. but obviously COVID it was some sort of VR. VR. Yeah. No. Yeah. So. They're still trying to figure out what to do there. And, I, like, the Busch Gardens parks are all cleaning house on their motion simulator rides because, like, Busch Gardens Tampa's really didn't last that long, the one that was in the Egypt area. And then, like, all the, the wild arctics are dropping. I think they're all done, right? There's no... Ours it hasn't been open in Orlando. Like, it has not no, operated it hasn't been. in a long time. So. I'm a little surprised that ours still hasn't gotten a replacement of some sort, though. Yeah. Because obviously in San Diego, they just ripped out um, the simulators and they built a queue and a station for the new 
um, Arctic Rescue Coaster, and they just rebranded the whole complex, and it looks amazing. Steel San Diego's Wild Arctic and Arctic Rescue are really, they're like better than than the exhibit ever was. Really, yeah. I'm really impressed with how they how they fixed that. The reason they're not fixing ours yet is because we needed to fix Antarctica first. <laughs> yeah, true. We got the penguin help, situation though. needed to be sorted out. Oh, we did get no animals. Yeah. Um, in Orlando. Anyway, not to uh, stray off the path. Uh, yeah. Speaking of animals. Yeah. Anyway, we have um, Wolfhaven in Ireland. That's one of the the few I think. Probably the biggest animal attraction at the park, I would really say, because they have like a little show venue for it, and they'll have interactions with the wolves, and they'll show them like husbandry behaviors and stuff. And <laughs> wolves are cool because they're really just dogs. Yeah. But except they can, they can mess you up. Um, and there's like a you know a big wolf exhibit, and there's a couple of aviaries around it. There's eagles, which I'm not even sure if they're. Really yeah, they Irish. do have that bird sanctuary um, thing. But uh, you know, and it's it's lush and it's in the forest, and I think it's a nice transition to. More parts of park where it's you know, more big steel co- coaster focused, but I will say that we were talking about this in the car earlier today. Um, I didn't quite realize until you kind of look at it on paper is that Busch Gardens Williamsburg is quite sprawling and very spread out and has these distinct themed lands, obviously dictated by the um, cultures and I guess architecture of, of these European parks, but. In reality, there really is not much to Bush Gardens Williamsburg um, beyond like the major, major rides, um, which I think if we look at that, we must be happy that they've been adding so much lately. Because in reality, I, I just didn't realize that it's really coaster heavy on the lineup. There really isn't that much else at this park. Yeah. yeah. Tampa's kind of the same, kind of guilty of the same. But I guess Tampa has a lot more animal stuff going on. Yeah. All the trails and like the giant train around yeah. the Serengeti and, you know, all of the above. Um that makes a big difference, I think, in experience um, compared to, to this park. Yeah, totally. Anyway, friends. So, yes. So, there's this little stretch with some of the animal stuff that's in between France and Ireland. That also used to be how you would approach the uh, monorail. They used to have a 7,000-foot monorail that would take you to the hospitality center for the Bush Brewery, um, which it kind of explains why this stretch this really forested stretch is technically part of ireland i think but it doesn't really doesn't really have a lot of an identity beyond having the animals there but once you cross the train tracks uh, you really you're in you're in france and it's like what how did you said it so nicely earlier how do you pronounce aquatin aquatin yeah it's like the more towards the south of the country yeah it's just kind of the more Mediterranean and softer colors, yeah, gray, you know, light gray roofs. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, kind of the the aesthetic that they went for there, which it kind of makes sense because they already had such a focus on the more Nordic or northern, you know, grayer, greener parts of Europe by yeah. doing those three British Isle kind of mm-hmm. areas. So I think that's why they focus on having it be more Mediterranean. It's also more open. The trees are less prominent, and especially with Griffin, having a giant B&M dive machine <laughs> standing in the middle of your land. I, yeah. I, I obviously have nothing to reference as to what it looked like before. When it was Le Mans Raceway. Yeah, exactly. It was but a cute course, ride. Now, um, they did a nice it's even more open. Yeah. I love this area, and I think it's, I just love, like, just the little things. Like, the little buildings around Griffin are super cute, and I love like the Skyride station, which is immediately to your left when you enter the area, has like the little Jules Verne-esque balloon theme like on the sign and stuff. Well, I do love that about this area is um, 
I like the architecture a lot, and there's like these little restaurants and stuff, which is actually kind of nice. But then I think one thing I appreciate a lot is having the lagoon for Griffin. It works strangely well with the aesthetic of the area being a little more Mediterranean. That's true. Um, being a little bit more a, a southern country, like it's not it's not Corsica. It's not like you know like actual. <laughs> it's not like it's brown buildings, but um, it's it's all just a little softer, a little lighter. It does it, it feels maybe it's because we've only been here in the summer. I can't speak for like wintry Virginia vibes, but. It's just overall, I think that it works well with having the blue ride there with yeah. the blue sky. Griffin and, is you great. Know, it just kind of that ride has well. an excellent presence. It's very pretty and sophisticated and like a huge improvement over like Apollo's chariot. It's funny. <laughs> Do you feel like the 10 row or the 10 seats in a row feels different than the eight in a row? I think it does. Oh, really? Griffin feels big and graceful. It's very swoopy. It has almost like a, like, like it's got some drag to it, but there's just some elegance with it as well. I feel like it feels more like a wing coaster than wing coasters do, because this thing really has a wingspan. That is true, but I, yeah, it's so funny because um, sometimes I think about the layout. I'm like, how is this train navigating? Now? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I love that it has two inversions. Because, like I appreciated you know, it way more this time. Yeah, I think it's I did too. And I think I enjoyed um, the layout more because you get a really nice. Turnaround view, which I mean is also the case on most dive coasters, and then the same as Shikra. But I think I appreciate it more seeing, I guess it's just at the Chesapeake Bay. I don't even know exactly mm -hmm. what kind of bay we're looking at. But the fact that it's taller than Apollo's Chariot is really something, too. Like, this is an incredibly tall ride. Right. With a giant panoramic turnaround that was probably very expensive. And to then build. that dive, which is a gorgeous. And I, yeah. just, I just love that coming off the mid course, I think the ride just delivers so much more having. That drop into the ravine right by Loch Ness Monster Station, oh, yeah. and then doing a Immelman. I mean, come on, that's I, awesome. I don't think this ride gets enough credit for being a terrain coaster. It for is like a taking complete advantage. terrain coaster because yeah. they're able to fit that drop. That's you know, that small drop off the mid course, and then that um, Immelman, and then kind of like bring you back up the hill to go towards yeah. the lagoon. Incredible, yeah. and it's funny because we looked at videos of what is that coaster in. Um, in the south of Korea. Draken. Isn't it called Draken? Yeah, Dragon or something like that. Yeah. It's in the same park as Python. Yeah. And um, there they have pretty much a, a, a clone of Griffin. Yeah. And you can really tell the terrain. Like, they had to freaking work it. They had to work yeah. all these gaps they and had holes to... and tunnels into the plot just to fit that model in there. Yeah, the, Makes the second appreciate... drop in the Immelman has, like, a... A tunnel, right? Yeah, or like at least like a or big like dip with a bridge over it. Bury it. Perfectly yeah, yeah. Um, so that bed. makes me appreciate that ride more because at the end of the day, every single ride at Busch Gardens, Williamsburg is a terrain coaster, and none of people talk about that. Yeah, there is not a single coaster there except for Dark Coaster now, I suppose, because in the building. <laughs> but um, it has imaginary like terrain. Any of the none of none of the outdoor coasters except for the kitty coaster are um, just like a regular flat flat coaster. The, all the kitty coaster coasters. has a little, a little terrain. terraforming going Boom. on if I remember correctly. There's like like a walkway or something that goes around. I can't remember. Um, we didn't even go over there. Not this last year. Yeah. Um, I think and then I don't think Griffin gets enough credit for the way that it navigated around the sky ride. <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> the right. The way yeah. that the sky ride really threads through genius. Griffin is so Sublime. Basically, the station for the sky ride is right next to Griffin, and it just kind of takes off. It has two because you know it's, it's a triangle, so it has like yeah. two directions of, of of the cables. It's yeah, quite impressive. And again, like, the views from the sky ride are just incredible. They, they, Griffin was is so well designed, and they made it look easy. And I don't think they get enough credit for the things that they had to 
take advantage of. But I don't think we were giving around. it the right credit first either. It wasn't no. until last trip we're yeah. like, all right, this is actually yeah. a lot better than we realized. Yeah. Navigating uh, around the existing attractions and like the use of terrain are two things that people don't take into account. I which think, also, we have to consider the fact that between riding Griffin for the first time and riding Griffin again, we've done the dive machines in China, uh, yeah. which we did both of the 10-seaters on there. Yeah. Um, we've done the dive, the, the newer dive machines like um, Emperor Civil San Diego. Mm-hmm. We did, um, you know, Cedar Point's Hell Machine. Yeah. Like we've done so many more divers now. And I think when That's you come true. back, you know, you can appreciate it more. Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Like especially the 10 across pedigree. Like the two Chinese 10 across yeah, dive those coasters are, are really nothing to write home about. It's funny because you have the Shikra model with 10 across and it just doesn't hit the same yeah. as having the Griffin model 10 across. Not at all. So, yeah, um, also in France is the Royal, Royal Palace, Palace Theater. Theater. And that's a cool venue. Really cool. It's big. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's massive, and they have great acts there. Like, I like SeaWorld does, like, what's their, that their one concert band series that your stuff. family likes? Clock of Soul. They yeah, perform. we saw them. Yeah, they're performing this. Yeah, yeah, what a vibe. Pretty that's cool. a really, really cool venue, and I like that it's in France. I like that the big rock and roll venue, like, the big concert setup for them is, is in old France. Now we're moving to New France. New France. Canada. Home to two cool rides. First off, Invader. Uh, Invader was actually only built, this is the rumor though, was only built so they could repurpose all of the expensive linear flyer trains that they purchased for Guazi, and then Guazi closed and had these really expensive rolling stocks. They said, okay, let's build a little wooden coaster somewhere so we can use this rolling stock that we purchased. I think I told you that. Yeah, is it Trudeau? I think it's true. It's, okay. it's, is it, it's a Trudeau? <laughs> Come on, Trudeau. That's not the most oh my god, thing. that was I wish everyone could have seen your, the face that you I know, just I made. got excited. You, I that was really cute. I love that. Um I like Invader better this time too. In twenty eighteen it was brand new and I was kind of distracted by the newness of it. Like, I liked it in twenty eighteen. No the, gro- the, the plant growth like was really inadequate around the ride. Five years made a lot of difference. It but, does not feel but also, though, it goes around, like, the train barn area. So, like, having the gravel and the train tracks you just felt, and, like, the gray support charge, you felt kind of industrial. Yeah. Not exactly the theme that the ride is trying to portray. I had to, but I I had like to warm it. up to it, but now it's better now. I mean, there's, like, lichen and moss on the rocks. Like, that made all the difference. And I think the weird, the drop with the little tunnel is good. Yeah. Just a feisty ride, and it's definitely a super terrain coaster. Like, it's running, it runs really well. Uh, this was the one, like, Sean wanted to ride Verbolton again. And I, he did that while I Ver- rode Invader. Um, just to see how you know it was holding up. And I actually liked it better. Like it's, it's kind of breaking in a little bit. So it's a good ride. I appreciate it way more than I did before. And we have to appreciate that. I think that ride is also the reason that they went with like a big boy version at SeaWorld San Antonio. Yeah. Because like SeaWorld San Antonio's Texas thing race, just the chef's kiss. Yeah. like incredible. Yeah. Absolutely love that ride. Yeah. They're both using, they both use that eBay wood or... Yeah, Ipe Wood. Ipe, Ipe Wood. And I still think that, I mean, people don't necessarily realize, but you have your little lift zone, which doesn't seem to be very large in Invader. And then you do your little turn and you hop into a drop. And then it becomes a real terrain coast. Like you drop into a valley Mm -hmm. where the scoot is kind of also in the same area. And then you do your whatever you're doing a couple times. And then you come back. And then um, the last kind of like um, turn is is kind of like a downward swoop. Yeah, it has like a little Back into the valley and then up again into the break run. So, uh, even though it's not a very big wooden coaster, it's not tiny either. Like, it's mid-sized. It was better than I remembered, um, and it was longer than I remembered. It had terrain. Like, it is, it is honestly not that bad of a ride. And it definitely, I feel like it earns its keep, and it was, like, a fun choice. Hard to be top five for them park, to but... do 
considering they compete with King's Dominion, which has always historically been like a very wooden coaster centric park. Like right, for, like between nineteen ninety four and two thousand eighteen, they had five wooden coasters. Now they have four, which is still quite a few. Um, but yeah, so I really appreciated it. In fact, I really like. I really think the Canada New France area is so cute, and I like it. I really appreciated their. It like that little setup there. It's like a perfect family area. You have your family coaster. You've got a train station. You have the scrambler, which we were doing research for this article, or uh, I guess it's going to be an article too, but we did research for this podcast, and I realized that scrambler has been everywhere. Originally, it was indoors in Hastings, which is now Ireland. It was inside, I think it was in the building that is now, or that later became like one of the motion simulator buildings. And then they moved it to Germany, where it became part of Oktoberfest. And then they moved it to Italy because they had room for it in Italy. And then they relocated it, I think, for when they added Apollo's Chariot. And then it wound up in New France. So it's been in all four of the countries that (laughs) have been represented at the park. Um, And then, yeah, last but not least, there's Le Scoot. They opened it. One of the last opening day attractions uh, for Busch Gardens Williamsburg, and probably the most important, is this. It's not a very long log flume, but it's a good log flume. And it, that drop is it, massive. It's super cool how tall it is. Like you dispatch and you go up that lift hill. It's a massive lift hill. You really feel high up. Um, well, it is high up because like the the bridge. Well, I call it the bridge because it's so elevated. But the part where kind of the scoot kind of splits up, I almost kind of feel like it's a triangle where like you yeah. go up and you've got you know your big lift so but then you cross all the way over towards Alpengeist mm-hmm. and it's highly elevated it's above that valley yeah. that I was talking about that invader goes under and it's above the invader drops yeah. and it's just yeah. you know go all the way across it's, yeah, it's, it's very it's tall absolutely the entire very ride tall. hovers above it's like invader, a sky ride really cool. really. yeah it's it, it's you could tell that that was the trend and like, then you drop and then you don't just go to ground level now you go all the way down to the river level so you go very far below the drop below. is phenomenal um, the drop for off the myth course for open guys. I guess the scoot is a really yeah. cool terrain. For, ride. It's a short, I wish it was longer, but man, what you get for that ride is so awesome. It counts though. And um, that first drop that it has that's elevated, it used to be that spillway drop where you would drop down and then back up. That must have been a very dramatic and cool gag for it to be up so high and so well highlighted from the midway. But like all of the aero log flumes with that element, it was straightened out to just a, a level flat portion because too many like too much debris and stuff was getting caught in the valley. Yeah. And like having it elevated like that, and there was probably not a catwalk. Like I'm sure it was a huge liability um, for it to be to have that element. So just like the smaller drop into the straightaway probably made a lot more sense uh, going forward. Um, Next yeah. up, well, yeah. so now, okay. yes. practically borders, well, it borders Germany, not even practically yeah. borders. So there's a bridge that goes over the Luskus Splashdown, yeah. and it's also your entry into Germany, and it's also the Alpen guys hovers over. We are in the French-German Alps, So where um, France-Germany and Switzerland meet. Interesting, I've never heard of French-Germany before. But, yeah, we're in the Alpen They do area. border each other, right? Well, so yeah, France and question. Germany and Switzerland and Austria, they all border. But in Luxembourg. Oh, Luxembourg is not really near that. Luxembourg is I like thought. Belgium, Netherlands, Benelux area. That's way yeah. north. I'm bad at geography. Yeah. Bear with me. Um, anywho, so <laughs> Alps area. Alpen yes. guys. Um, 1997, big bad hyper invert is what I refer to it as. I don't even think it's officially hyper style, but 
Um, it's 195 it's like feet a tall. So practically it's almost basically a hyper. Um, incredible ride. Absolutely love that ride. It grows on me um, more and more and more. I think currently it is my favorite B&M invert because it just it just has like a different I vibe really to it. I really think it's the best. It's the only B&M invert with a zero car. Um, unless there's one on... I think there may be one on Banshee, but of original, original, you know, B&M I don't think Banshee inverts. has one. A zero car? Does it or not? I don't think no. so. Well, then it may still be the only one. Um, Alpen guys, that leading zero car on the train is kind of iconic. Yeah, it's iconic. <laughs> and it, it just makes it feel even more of like a big bossy version of, a, of an invert. Yeah. Um, you have your custom support structure, which doesn't happen a lot with B&M. In fact, I think Efteling's Baron. Um, 1898 is one of the only other examples of a B&M custom support structure that's thematic. So it's like themed to a ski lift. The you know, the ride vehicles are themed to to being on a on a ski lift, and that just gets taken over by this monster or you know guys from the Alps. And so um, that that first drop is like a spiraling 195 foot drop. Is that the actual drop length? Yeah, uh, I don't know if the drop is that long, but I know that the top of the lift hill is 195. And then um, it's followed by a giant. Immelman, um, followed by a vertical loop. And after vertical loop, it's kind of like a straightaway, but like a downward one. And then you have the snappiest Cobra roll of all Cobra rolls. It's incredibly snappy, highly elevated, kind of one of those things where, like you shriek as you go through it. And then you kind of swivel into the Mikros break room, which I must admit does have a very rough transition into it. And then you uh, drop off of it into the valley that Lascoot is in. You have a zero G roll, which I think is unique that it's post mid course. I think it's Very the only unique. invert that yeah. does have one most post mid course. Uh, followed by um, a helix, um, a course through, and a kind of like another helix up into the brakes, which are ground level again. So, like, it mm -hmm. just kind of you go up really high, you work your way all the way down into the ravine twice, and then you climb your way back up. I think Alpha Guys is a beautifully balanced attraction where the first half and the second half are like two experiences separately. You know, one feels like flight deck in Americas, but the other half feels like a, you know, an invert on steroids. <laughs> it's just all around good stuff. And I think, and personally, it's my favorite ride at um, Bush Gardens Williamsburg. And it's not even that hard for me to choose, to be honest. I think I'd have to agree with you because our 2018 visit, Apollo's Chariot was my favorite. This time, Apollo's Chariot was not hitting as much as I wanted it to. But I think I was also really vibing more with I-305 on this trip. So maybe it's just me. But Alpengeist, like, really clicked with me this time to the point where I struggled to feel like I would pick even the best inverts of Europe over it. Like, the aggressiveness and the speed and the scope of it, the swiftness of the Cobra roll, the snappiness of it, like, the topography, the just the bigness. It's like so it's truly, truly. I could do unique. a whole episode on being an inverse now I think about it. I could do a whole episode on Alpengeist. <laughs> <laughs> but like and then I think about um Black Mamba and Nemesis and Osiris, which are like the obvious, like the big three in in Europe for the Well, I think Monster now. And Monster too. is now yeah. probably one too. But I And Gatun. And yeah, well there's so much every every there seems are like there's, a lot. Seems yeah. like there's like a, every great Coaster country in Europe has like a great B&M invert to boot. Though I will say um, about Elfin guys, in 2018 we had like nighttime ERT. And I remember it was raining so yeah, hard for hours, like thunderstorms in the distance. And we just rode. It was open. We got it was just flying, flying, flying. But even during the day, it runs so well. It is smooth. It doesn't. It doesn't quite have that crazy feet pull, uh, pulling feel that you get on some of the bad bank clones. I think Elfin guys is practically perfect, except for that slam into the mid course. That's yeah. just so. Poof. 
that just didn't bother me that, as much this time. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't bother me as much, but it's noticeable that yeah. like it's not going to be like yeah, amazing. Kind of surprised they haven't like ironed that out. Nah, I'm a little surprised too. Now it's like something it. that they could do. Um, continuing in Germany, that's Oppenheim is kind of really offset to towards the Canada area. It definitely came later. Yeah. Um, yeah. You kind of make your way through like right. the Bürgermeister Hideaway they area. Slammed it into the very leading edge of the the uh, Rheinfeld area. Yeah, exactly. So it's very very far out. Um, so you kind of make your way through like the little shopping area. You got your beer steins and your beer and whatever you know. And if you're Bush Gardens. Um, pass holder, you get. You know, oh yeah, you get that's where you beer. get your free beer. Yeah, so it's it Bud cute. Light. Um, right. Which honestly, I don't hate Bud Light. Me neither. I don't like it. I've um, never had an issue with Bud Light. I'm not gonna like order it. And then it gets kind of murky because then this is definitely part of the Germany area, but the land of the dragon, which is um, a themed like play area and structure, which is in the turnaround of Loch Ness Moss that swings mm-hmm. over, technically Germany, but. Um, yeah, even though I guess Land of Dragon seems like it could also not be Germany. I feel like it's supposed to still be like sort of part of Scotland. But it's wild because then you go but down the and you have the Rhine River, river boat, yeah. which is definitely Germany. Yeah, it's complicated. And that's we even close to Scotland, so that's where the water is literally murky. Um, and then <laughs> it's funny also to think s- that that walkway under Loch Ness Monster used to be like the left perimeter of the whole park. Like, before there was Italy, before there was anything. So well, like, that was it. You were forced to go down. The park just like, ended. Like, that was the loop. And now it's, now it's like, the midway that cuts through the middle of the park. It's not as used either. It's not as, as yeah. busy. Well, yeah, because, yeah, it's really... I feel like now people use it as a cut-through. I've never cut. done the Rhine River boats, by the way. I mean, they were cool. They're there. I don't exactly know where to go. But yeah, Land of Dragons was, like, the OG family area for the bush parks. Um, Bush Gardens Tampa, I believe, had it too. Before, Where was it located? Well, before it was um, turned into the Sesame Street Safari. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure oh, okay. that the Sesame Street Safari for Bush Gardens Tampa is just like Makes originally sense. All those, like, the Dragon giant Land. Giant structures and stuff. Um, whereas with Bush Gardens Williamsburg, they were able to build a second kitty area to expand it. I think. Well, Bush Gardens Tampa's I think got bigger. Like the Land of Dragons, I think was smaller, and then they added more rides. Excuse me. But, um, yeah, that's, that's an, it, yeah, I don't exactly know, but it's been there a long time. Whatever excuse they have for the dragon area being there and being, it, it's, but I guess, well, like, Drakenfire is a dragon that is German. It breathes fire. That's a, is that a thing? Is it like a medieval Well, I guess thing? dragons are very, like, mythical from old medieval times and, like, I think Gothic era. So perhaps it's just so it's like German. German, like, the I kingdoms. just feel like having Lagnets wants to go around it and made me kind of feel like it was part of it. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's fair. Like, don't build something in the infield of a roller coaster or make the roller coaster create an infield for an existing attraction and then separate their theme so dramatically. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Also, I can kind of see dragons fit with the gothic ass vibes of yeah. Scotland too. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> basically, dragons. Maybe more could, I, guess, than I, realize. I guess what they're saying is that dragons are universal across Europe. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, if you're gonna have Europe, you're gonna have dragons. And also, I'm kind of making a realization that every kind of land is like a subland or like a secondary land. You got France, New France, Germany. Oh uh, yeah, France, all the Italy, areas like that, have like their neighborhoods. Really, um, it's like four big areas put into like smaller matching areas. Oh yeah, I've always. I always thought that the park had four areas. 
five with Sesame Street. And yeah. then I realized actually that they're divided up into more individual areas. So next up, we have Oktoberfest, which is obviously very German. Which is, yeah. There used to be more to talk about when it still had the Machtower pretty recently, but that thing is cut. Um, but there's nothing new to talk about. And we did talk about this ride in our unexpectedly incredible rides episode earlier in this season. Yes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Definitely go back and listen to that. One of my faves. But um, we were talking about Dark Coaster, which completely blew us away. Took up the space of the previous dark ride, which was Curse of Dark Castle. Dark Castle. Yep. And they ripped the dark ride out after, I guess, the damage tracks when it turned into a haunt for Hollow Scream. Yeah. Long nice story short, Sewell definitely wasn't going to be paying for that anymore because Sewell Parks Entertainment doesn't like the dark rides anymore. They're ripping them out as fast yeah. as they can. Um, but instead, they put a coaster in there, which is also very Sewell of them. And we love it. Like, it's actually really good. And I guess we'll just do another recap of it for yeah. those who haven't heard the other episode. Yeah. It's, um, you're, it's a snowmobile coaster. So it's a straddle coaster, which is a phrase that I, I'm, not, I'm still warming up to straddle coaster. I, I don't know, know if I... awkward. I don't know if I care for straddle coaster. But I get that they're trying to create a catch-all for motorbike coasters, wave runner coasters, and now snowmobile, snow machine coasters. Like, I get it. It's kind of born out of necessity. Um... But yeah, so it's kind of on, Dark Coaster is sort of on the border between Oktoberfest and the other, the old Germany area of the park, because it doesn't really vibe with Oktoberfest, you're kind of in a castle, but Oktoberfest has gotten a little murky these days anyway, like it's not, like looking at it now. I never really thought it was that, in fact, I feel like it almost offers a good transition, it's got your old Germany castle on the hill, and Mm -hmm. then you've got your new German Oktoberfest. Like when Wild Mouse was in that corner of the park, it screamed Oktoberfest because it was literally a traveling German Wild Mouse coaster that you could have found, you know, throughout the fair circuits in Germany. And then they put like a very substantial themed ride there that felt a little bit more like the like gothic Germany. Didn't know it took issue with that. But in any case, um, it's a great ride. And aside from the capacity, which was kind of just a necessary evil, because like if you can choose between a coaster or no coaster, especially when it's a good coaster, you're going to choose coaster if you can, even if it's only 10 passengers per dispatch and a two-train operation. Well, I think the one thing we have to realize is, like, if you look at, for example, when the Skyrocket 2s came out, and everyone's like, oh, no, you know, especially with the two-car versions. Oh, yeah, really, Busch Gardens has one. SeaWorld and Busch Gardens <laughs> were the ones that introduced the three-car version, but I'm referencing particularly the two-car version. Yeah, true. Um, it was only 12 passengers per dispatch, and everyone's like, oh, my God, it's so crazy. Um, and that was just, you know, you have to wait for the cycle to be over and then load again. That's where you have the luck of having Dark Coaster where there's two trains with 10 passengers. And really, I don't think the capacity was that terrible. Could be better, sure, but it wasn't that terrible. And the ride experience is awesome. And for those who aren't really familiar with Dark Coaster, um, it's, um, it's a full circuit coaster that, God, how do you explain it? It has like a switch track in the middle where you kind of, go through a special scene, then you roll into the main ride again, and you do the whole ride twice. And that gives the station next to it enough time to load the next vehicle. So using two switch tracks, um, you go around the same track kind of twice. And the cool thing is, is that because of all the show elements they use, and the projection mapping, and the fog, and and some of the light-up elements, um, they do a good job telling a story through going around the same track twice, but using different theming elements. It feels like you're in, in a really long coaster, really. 
um, not quite realizing you're doing the same track twice because the layout is not that simple that it feels like you're obviously doing the same thing twice. And I kind of like having that straightaway by the station where you kind of go through the castle and you go outside again in the snow and you have your storm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think overall it was honestly so well done. I really, really liked it. I cannot wait to buy it again. You know what it reminds me of is like when you do go-karts, uh, you don't pass through the station when you like do your laps on a go-kart. They like route you to a piece of go-kart track that is like parallel Goes to the station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first thing I thought when I was, someone was trying to explain to me what this ride was doing. And then I looked it on the map. And I'm like, oh, it kind of looks like a go-kart track. Um, but yeah, a great ride. And if you're going to do this thing where you go through the ride twice the way that you do, where you bypass the station, an indoor coaster is the perfect application for it. Because indoor coasters are inherently repetitious because you're in a box and you're not really necessarily trying to completely obliterate your rider. I mean, some indoor coasters are really aggressive and varied, but... Compact coasters historically just... But everything from... When you look at everything from Space Mountain to Guardians of the Galaxy, it's a lot of the same moves. So when looking at a ride where it's like, look, we're going to reuse a dark ride space, and Sean and I are huge cheerleaders of roller coasters that have been built in places occupied by dark rides because oh my god our guilty yeah. pleasure <laughs> unexpectedly incredible rides that episode is full of them our sweetheart yeah. in germany park um movie park germany has two of those roller coasters in dark ride show buildings that are amazing but i digress it, they just did such a good job they made such an amazing use of what they built excellent like financially, I think this was like this is how you get your bang for your buck. Like you, you can you give yourself twice the ride, but you give the guests twice. Well, yeah, the if you if you can see it in a way where it really doesn't feel like you're going around twice, I'm just saying I'm just really impressed because I wasn't expecting much, but my expectations were shattered. Um, and very they, excited, and the rider they, comfort is way better than expected. The queue too. was really nice too. The queue was it's nice. just like very. I mean, a lot of that was because Curse of Dark Castle was a good storytelling attraction, but. It's just a really solid, impressive storytelling experience. Yeah, I'll just consider it um, one of the better, newer projects on SeaWorld, despite it actually being kind of small. Um, anyway, moving on into October Fest, you got Brauhaus, which is obviously the giant festival hall where they have, you know, the beer flowing and, you know, food options and stuff, which is pretty typical for Busch Gardens Park. There's mm-hmm. the same, um, same kind of similar idea on Pantopia and Busch Gardens Tampa. And then you have a couple of flat rides, including uh, Vibblevins, which is their wave swinger, and Der Autobahn, which is their uh, bumper cars. And then you have your next big ride, which is for Bolton. And I'm a big for Bolton boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it comes from like kind of a goldenish era of SeaWorld, Parks Entertainment, where they were just pumping out these incredible, magnificent, giant family coasters. We're talking Manta and San Diego. We're talking... Cheetah Hunts at Busch Gardens Tampa and Ever Bolton at Busch Gardens Williamsburg. And the theming in the queue is awesome. It's a well-themed queue on this kind of suspended house. And then the station itself is full of theming. And the idea is you can rent a car at this kind of like gas station-y information shop and, and, and the S- it's edge like of the, the Schwarzwalde. And there's like the the luggage and stuff. Yeah, like, exactly. It's really cute. Like an issue like Forest, as far as of all, you got, funny, yeah. you know, you rent your car and then it's kind of themed to a big car, really. It only has, what is it? Um, not that many passengers per train. Is it like 10 or 12? I think it's like 12, 10 or 12 passenger per train, so it's not even that many. Um, they're really comfortable trains, by the way. And they're so stylish. Um, and then, you know, you go and take off into the into the Black Forest, themed to, obviously, South Germany. 
And even though it, it takes up the plot of Big Bad Wolf before, which of course sad face, sad story, um, I'm really kind of happy with how they reuse the footers of Black Bad, uh, Big Bad Wolf, keeping kind of the flow of the ride really similar, direction of the ride similar, the path that it takes yeah, it around the, the park. Almost the same similar. layout. It's pretty uncanny. And it's really cool to do it that way. Like I'm really impressed. And then it's just honestly like an intense ride. You launch into the, like, you know, you have your little, like, cute little the indoor zigzag, part and then you launch indoor. It is so aggressive. And, oh, my God, you gray out on that ride. The helices That's one of intense. the most intense rides in the park. The movement is intense. The, Masquerading the, around as a family coaster. It's dark. The theming inside with, like, you know, the, the big leaves that light up, and then you have that projection mapping on the, on the floor. Um, almost a la Revolution rides from, like, the 80s. Oh, totally. You know, and then you have your brake run, and then you have a drop off of it into another brake run, and then you have your drop track, and then you have another launch out of it. I am just, I'm the biggest for Bolden fan. I think it's such a good ride. I think I waited, like, a good 45 minutes, hour to ride again this summer, because the operations were kind of shitty. Um, <laughs> not going to lie, it was shit operation. No like, tea. stacking, only three <laughs> out of five trains running and yeah. stacking. One station, one person checking restraints. It was awful. Whatever, that's a steal these days. But um doesn't take away that the ride itself is actually still incredible, in my opinion. And you've got that dive towards the Rhine River. Like, yeah. it's just, it's all good. It's, it's good a stuff. really cool ride. In fact, I think Dark Coaster is the family coaster that people Verbolten expected was, when they yeah. got Verbolton. Because Verbolton is only a family coaster by technical definition. Yeah. Like, the, it has a low height requirement. But it is a complete ass kicker. And it is a, it is, that ride is harder on your body than Griffin or well, Apollo's Chariot. Well, yeah, because I, I, always, I always lump it in, like I mentioned, Cheetah Hunt and Manta and San Diego. And even though all are kind of like the family rides, and people would probably generally think like, well, Cheetah Hunt is the more intense ride. Because it has a barrel roll. Because it has a barrel roll, and it has like the, the big you know, tree moment yeah, that it's it like drops. tall. But I still think that for Bolton is a lot more intense. Oh my gosh, it is. Good. And for Bolton has a big old drop too. And I already, we already ridden it, and I was, and I could remember. Oh, I rode so much the in the indoor dark portion, oh. being like, oh yeah, I remember the indoor portion. It was like kind of, kind of squirrely, like it's pretty wild. And then when we rode it, I was like, oh my god, it really, it, it's exactly as crazy as I remember, if oh, not yeah. more so, for sure. So good for, I mean, that and it's funny because you are right. I feel like Dark Rose is the milder, yeah, version of the inside portion yeah. of for Bolton, even yeah. with like the lightning and the bad yeah. weather. It's situation. a much gentler. <laughs> Maybe right. there's space for both in the same land. Too. Yeah, they're yeah. in the same. They're not even in the same, just in the same country. They're, they're in, in the, the same, same little neighborhood yeah. of Germany. Um, anyway, we're taking a big old bridge from for Bolton. For Bolton. So American. For Bolton. For Bolton. Anyway, um, we're taking the big old bridge to Italy. Yeah. Which has, like, I guess, one of Past the largest the dining areas of the park, which is called the Sad Mock Tower, empty spot. I, Oktoberfest needs more flat rides. I know. They used to have several. Obvious it's not really no... giving Oktoberfest these days, except for the Fest House. But I got two flat but, rides, right? But... Yeah, well, they have like the Red Baron thing and the. Oh, yeah. Well, two major flat rides then. Wait, what's the other one? The Bumper Cars? Wave Swing and Bumper Cars. Yeah. Two, yeah. yeah. two kitty rides and two major flat rides. But they need, they got to do something where Mock Tower was. No surprise that that didn't work out because when we rode it, it felt pretty janky. And it's a Moser. <laughs> like, nobody builds Moser funny. ride. Because I remember everyone always talked about it. Like, it was so good, but it really wasn't that good. I didn't, yeah, I didn't care for it. I didn't think it was that comfortable. But I feel like they should be building one over there, another another drop tower. Yeah. I don't know what or when, but it's it's Something. a pity that, because it was really cute. Like, yeah, the maple themed. Like, that felt like a really nice addition thematically to Oktoberfest. Oh, and for now sure. they could really use another flat ride. Anyway, now we're in San Marco, 
which is the first of two Italian areas added to Bush Gardens um, to flesh out the, I mean, when they added the first one, that was a huge expansion to the park. When you think of the midway that connects England, like the Skyride Station, all the way to Oktoberfest, which I guess going through Scotland and then up through Rhineland, like that kind of is exactly what that sure, does. But, but if you take the, like, like the actual like loop, taking the long way around. And it was so cool, especially with like Loch Ness Monster that was still brand new at the time, getting to take that giant elevated bridge um, across the Rhine River and get those like gorgeous panoramic views of, of Loch Ness. And then just, and only a few years later, you would get to enjoy um, some really nice views of Big Bad Wolf on that bridge as well. Um, but yeah, so San Marco feels like it's it's like on on like a sheer descent, like that food court area in the in the theater and stuff is so cool. And I feel like we're like right on the edge of a of a hill, like going down. It's yeah, just so it wedged cool. in. Yeah, suddenly there's at a cliff. It's like a little mountain south Mediterranean Italian town, which is honestly scarily accurate. Um, we went to Portofino this year, like yeah, the real like, Portofino, like a couple days ago. And this is totally San Marco. It's exactly. Like these yeah. like sheer like these steep hilly terrain emptying into the Mediterranean Sea. And that's exactly what this area is about. It's impressive that they resisted the temptation to just build like Rome or something when they were doing their Italy area. They've got a lot of of real estate with the two Italy areas, and they it, they lasted 10 years before they finally added a Rome-themed ride, like the Rapids ride in Festa Italia. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, so uh, let's. So Marco Polo's Marketplace is, I think, one of the bigger restaurants, kind of like Bauhaus. Um, I think what Bush Gardens generally does is they have a couple of really large restaurants throughout the park, rather than a bunch of small food uh, locations, which I think is actually a good way of going about it. And I think it's honestly very suitable parks and entertainment, where it's just you know, large multiple yeah, big lanes, dining halls, dining services. Um, it's just easier to maintain and having like a million little pizza stands and stuff. You know what I'm saying? I just think operationally and guest experience wise, it's it just works That's better. That's so true. I'd never really thought about it, but yeah, like Bush Gardens Williamsburg has like four, maybe five like giant restaurants. And see, San Diego's historically like that too. Definitely dominate the landscape. I know. See, Orlando has has kind of has that setup. Yeah, maybe a little bit less. But I feel like every SeaWorld Park has San like Antonio a giant a... restaurant right in the middle. Yeah, but I think it works really well. That model works quite well. Totally. Maybe it comes from when the parks were operated by Anheuser Busch at the same time. Yeah, Hospitality Center. You know, like yeah. it's honestly yeah. very Bush. Um, but anyway, so that's there, and you've got a couple of flat rides: the Battering Ram and the Flying Machine. I can't remember which is the flying machine is the is the one invert is there an inverting ship there? What is it again? So the battering ram is their Intamin um, pirate ship, which those were oh, brand it's the new. Old ship. Okay. It was a perfect addition. So this area of the park opened in nineteen eighty, which is the same year that the Intamin pirate ships made their debut. I think every Six Flags park bought one and Bush Gardens also bought one. So really like the battering ram was a huge um, addition for them at the time. Except that it wasn't just the battering ram. They also got the flying machine and the little balloons. Flying machines are like odd little rides because you'll find those at, like, I, the first time I rode one of those was actually at a traveling carnival that came to the shopping mall at, that I worked at. Um, they remind me of troikas a little bit, except on a smaller scale. Like, they kind of do that movement 
but instead of like these giant carousels of seven vehicles like in a ring, it's just three little cars attached to each other, yeah. being spun around like a blender. Um, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg had one too, which is where um, Falcon's Fury is now, and now it's at Sesame Place in Pennsylvania. Um, it's funny, I just realized both the Festa Italia are not Festa Italia. What's this? I just said it. What is this area called again? San, San Marco. Marco. Well, they're not called anymore, but. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. They call it Italy now. They just call it Italy. The San Marco area and Bush Gardens, Williams, uh, Tampa's Timbuktu areas opened the same time and they had very similar concepts. Makes sense. Large dining yeah. hall. Large dining, flat, flat ride package. Yeah. And like in, in Bush Gardens, Tampa's case, it got Scorpion too. Um, but yeah, so both um, the Flying Machine and Sandstorm was what Bush Gardens, Tampa's was called. And they, so those were both added in 1980 at the same time. Um, so now let's talk about the newest ride in the area, which is Pantheon. Um, thematically speaking, Pantheon, Pantheon. Is the Pantheon part of Festa Italia? I, I just this. I very much interpret it as being part of Italy. Because you have to go into Festa Italia. Unless you, unless cross, you take the ADA ramp, right? You have to take the bridge back over the train. Because you take the bridge, the old bridge, over the train station to get to the original Festa I don't, Italia. I just, I just and then you take the bridge I back over. I never interpreted over. it as such. I feel like Pantheon, like the actual gods of old... Of all Italy, you know, Rome. I don't know. Because you can't get to it without going to Festa Italia. Either way, it'll be a cute little... It doesn't matter. Split it up. Fair enough. Add something interesting to Italy here. Yeah. Um, Pantheon, pretty much Italy, especially because yeah. the colors like... It's Italy, all Italy. It's, hiding, Close it's hiding behind Italy. Yeah. Um, we also talked about this ride. Did we talk about this ride yet? Oh, yeah, we did talk we, about it. The, we yeah. Our, episode. Our, yeah. Batman versus Flossicoaster versus Tutatis versus Pantheon. We go into depth in the roller coaster. Listen to it. It's the launch of season five. But uh, long story short, big shuttle coaster. Liked it for what it did coaster-wise. Thought the theming was honestly incredibly weak. It's uh, can't even yeah, really call it's it theming. just there. It's a glorified station. Um, Apparently, it's the world's fastest multi-launch roller coaster. That's, yeah, I guess According so, to huh? the app. <laughs> yeah. Um, good ride. Um, gorgeous views to the Rhine River down below. I like the Beck Spike a lot. Um, Definitely a different ride in the front and the back. Doing the, the full circle shuttle thing is cool. I like my modern intimates. Overall, just, just a good ride. Big stall. Good ride. I just, I'm not as enhammered with it. I feel like the character isn't quite there yet. It's brand new, but it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot to it. It's not uh, well-themed, like I mentioned. And I think when I go to Busch Gardens, Williamsburg, I kind of go for the more classic B&Ms, perhaps, or rides like for Bolden and Dark Coaster, which are really quite unique. Uh, Pantheon doesn't feel that unique. And in the grand scheme of the modern Intimates, it's just another one of those big old new Intimates, which I love them, but it's not as unique. Speaking of which, this this further illustrates my point that this ride is in Festa Italia. Because, because all of Festa Italian's roller coasters are ugly. <laughs> uh, including That's true, because they all have chariot. that weird kind of they like... They all have this goofy like circus weird station. Yeah, no, so I didn't right. even realize until I was, again, doing research. It's, it's amazing the things you learn about theme parks that you've already been to and you thought you knew everything about these places and then you stumble on information. So Festa Italia is themed to the reception of Marco Polo after returning from China. That's cool. So all of the... Originally, it was a big flat ride area. where It was all flat rides. Every flat ride had a different theme, a different country theme. So there was the Gladiator's Gauntlet, which was the Vacoma Rack ride, flat ride that didn't last very long, but it was a cool, like, marquee attraction. 
for the area at the time. It was a big... Yeah, you're right. It's um, totally Fiesta Italia. Yeah, I must have... Yeah. Because I kind of looked at the park map and be like, okay, it yeah. kind of blends Fair. in with I mean, this. this side of the train track. It doesn't feel like Fiesta It's a kind of like, yeah, okay, this side of the train track is ugly. Italy, and this side is not, but um, I guess it's not. But yeah, so Fiesta Italia used to make a little bit more sense. Like, it was... Every ride was... So they had, like, the Turkish Delight, which was their teacup ride. They had the Trade Winds, um, which is pretty self-explanatory. And they had um, the Sea Dragon, which was the Chinese-themed uh, Mac Regatta ride, which was removed, and it is the queue space for Apollo's Chariot. I wish they had not gotten so lazy with Apollo's Chariot, because a ride that good, I think, deserves, like, Alpengeist and Verbolten-level aesthetic and it's just so apparent that you walk into Apollo's Chariot's entrance and what you're queuing in is just this ugly cobblestone switchback Well, it was worse this time around because they had, I guess, sort of separated the single rider line in a way because like, there's this really small yeah, little yeah, bridge it was really close to the station, but then they put the most awkward red rope through like these planters that were literally from Home Depot. Yeah. And that was then kind of like to split the queue. I mean, it was the ugliest shit. Apollo's like, Chariot's queue. It's going to have been 100 bucks on that. For as incredible, and think about Up and Guys for a sec and how like the overflow queue is all lumber. Yeah. And it like, and, like, on this, it, like, it, like wanders the through forest. the trees and back. Like it is the most gorgeous yeah, overflow true. queue. And then you have Apollo's Chariot, which has. I mean, it's a little, it's a little cheap to see, but after a Roman fair. Yeah. You know, like a temporary tent setup. Like, you could tell. Well, Bush Gardens Williamsburg, apparently. What I was reading was that their attendance always exceeded expectations. So pretty much their entire existence, they've been desperately coming up with excuses to build rides that were like that wouldn't break canon. So like Oktoberfest, San Marco with like the Da Vinci's Garden of Inventions, and then Festa Italia, like three consecutive flat ride areas. Just to add more Just rides. because they needed capacity. But that was kind of the rides. problem with the park, though. Like, even now, it's still like the overall ride collection isn't that big. Yeah. They've gotten all the rides matter. Like, it's and like they're quality of a quantity, but still. They're losing flat rides. rides and not replacing them because, like, Da Vinci's Cradle, the Zero uh, Magic Carpet ride was the third and then the Mock Tower. flat ride. And then, like, Mock Tower is gone. I mean, Finnegan's Flyers is a huge improvement, but, like, they, they need to flesh out the flat ride complement more because, like, into France with Apollo's Chariot replacing the flat ride, the Sea Dragon flat ride, and uh, Gladiator's Gauntlet wasn't replaced by a ride. I will definitely say that, in, like the grand scheme of the park, the left side is definitely so much heavier on the right than the right side. The right side, it's really like you got Loch Ness, Finnegan, Griffin, and then you invade the already back in the park. Yeah, you know. Yeah, not a whole lot to it. King's Dominion is the same way. It's extremely left leaning. Yeah, funny. Yeah, but so am I. So. Oh my god, what's down there? <laughs> uh, Roman Rapids opened a couple years after Best Italia was established, and I think by then they were already sort of breaking the story. Like I said, they they waited a good nine, ten years before they uh, submitted to the temptation of building a Rome themed ride in their Italy themed area. Um, and this is one of the only rides at this park that neither of us have ridden. It looks cool. It looks very wet. Yeah. And, it, and the, cool, the coolest part really is that it goes all around um, a false chariot. chariot. I think it's in the highlight. Yeah. Um, Tempesto, I mean, Skyrocket. It was closed on our trip, and I forgot I will about say it. that I have mad respect for how to fit it in there because it's not like it took up any value oh, space. Yeah. It literally, the way they constructed it, I am impressed. It's, it, it fits in between 
support beams of Apollo's chariot. Like, it literally gets snug into in between some Yeah, points. I was looking at it at Google Earth earlier. It's like, almost like, it's it like the sky really was impressive. for that ride. It's practically, like, it, it, it almost like flat ride rules apply. And honestly, all things considered, I don't mind the theme that much. You know, it's like the cannon stunt at a Roman fair or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever the theme really is. That ride and was actually surprisingly on brand for the theme of that yeah, area. Yeah, it fits really well. Compared to Roman Rapids or even Apollo's Chariot. I will say, I feel like in general, the SeaWorld applications are quite good because um, Electric Eel and SeaWorld San Diego. I mean, this was a year after Manta. Really well it was too. in that golden era of themed attraction experiences. Oh, wait, no, sorry. No, this was, was 2015, like, not 2013. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah, well, and that was exactly so. Um, I just think overall, uh, I mean, I don't care much for the Skyrockets. They're good rides for the space to occupy. But I will say it's a particularly decent installation. For a coaster that's in a flat ride area of the park that is like... But again, I feel like all the Seawolf Flats are, are quite good. Because then you've got Tigers with a good queue. Um, Electric Eel in San Diego really counts. I don't know. All things considered, I think all, all three of the SeaWorld ones are pretty good. Um, and then I guess we haven't talked about the, the final ride on the list, which is going to be Escape from Pompeii. Do you want to talk more about Apollo's Chariot? Yeah, let's, let's talk about Apollo's Chariot a little bit. Um, still, like, my favorite layout of any B&M hypercoaster. It wasn't running as well as I would have hoped. I, I felt, like, a little sluggish. Maybe it was just me. Or maybe I, maybe my, my tastes Well, I think changed, the biggest but... thing about Apollo's Chariot, I don't really necessarily ride it for the air. Well, you can get some good air. Not, not, not going to be wrong. I think you ride it because it's a terrain coaster. You yeah. ride it because you're over the river, yeah. and down the valleys, and you know have the little straightaway. It really has a marvelous layout. And that then is a giant helix of the hill. The layout is, cool. is beautiful and difficult to predict, which is what's so enamoring with it. I think riding it for the first time and not really knowing the layout that well, it really struck a chord with me. This time, riding it and feeling more familiar with what it did, it was like a little less, a little less pizzazz to sustain, but still just a just a perfect. But I do respect how it really feels like a classic B and M. Yeah. The way that the way that they they shape the ride and having little straight sections to kind of bridge the water, um, to have kind of really massive helices, but then also having the 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 strange little yeah the moment where you go from being on the right the left side of the track and then it has a nice little swish like a swish into the right side and that's and also hopping. happening on top of. Roman Rapids exactly, right there. Exactly, Roman Rapids having like kind of a slope up and then boom, another drop. Like, yeah. The nice thing is on this hypercoaster, not a single hill is the same as the last. Yeah. That's where my biggest complaint about the B&M hypers, which I just don't care for that much, is that, God, they're so repetitive. It's the same thing. The a ride like ride. Apollo's Chariot is what made like the Cedar Fair B&M hypers feel so mundane by comparison and so safe because you go back in time to the 90s and it, and this goes for Raging Bull too. I yeah, mean, that's Raging why Bull is awesome. Raging Bull and the Paul's Chariot are my two favorite just, yeah. hypers. I I would take I would yeah. absolutely take Apollo's Chariot over Fury, and I might even take Raging Bull over Fury. Like because, I will say, my top three are Raging Bull, Apollo's Chariot, and, and Fury. I think yeah. Raging is actually my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Raging Bull is this is, is a giant yeah. like twister section. Yeah, there's just something really special about Apollo's Chariot, and like it's 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 kind of unbelievable that. Busch Gardens Williamsburg got up Alpengeist and Apollo's Chariot back to back. And like they literally killed the game. Like they they just so happened to build two coasters that were absolutely the best of their kind when they opened. 
and are still pretty much the bar upon which similar coasters are judged, like, 20 to 25 years later. Right. Like, when I think of Busch Gardens Williamsburg, those are the two coasters I think about. My mind immediately goes to those two rides, and those are still the coasters that I go to Busch Gardens Williamsburg for, and everything else is kind of a bonus. I think um, I would agree with you, though. I think that's a good assessment. Those are, I think, without the classic B&M lineup, um, they are quintessential. There's not much reason to go it to the park. It is the quintessential Busch Gardens Williamsburg duo. Especially because, like, my opinion of Loch Ness Monster, I feel like, is a little bit overrated. Um, and then I think we should finish with another quintessential Busch Gardens Williamsburg ride. Oh, this is so true. Which is Escape from Pompeii. Yeah. Which now we're back in Italy again. Really just, like, a big old intimate shoot to shoot but um really cool theming inside i mean it's not it doesn't do a whole lot like i will not get everyone's hopes up it gets you very wet that's number one um number two in the worst way possible that's you come cool. off the lift hill and you're sitting in the front and your boat just takes on all this like water scoops all the water i was up. so mad you guys which is funny because alice is the one always i'm normally the, the one rides. that wants to ride the water rides but i don't like getting my feet wet and that's not a problem on the scoot but we rode in the front row on Escape from Pompeii because you don't get that wet in the front row from the splash. But we got but the water leaks in freaking over your like leg. Oh, I was uh... furious. I, so I was so mad that it like I couldn't even focus on the ride. But um, well, the ride was over the yeah. And no, kidding, I wasn't. No, it's at the top of the lift. the top of the lift. Yeah. Oh my god, that's right. And I'd say I will say the show. The ride is super clever and still totally one of a kind. Like. They almost gave themselves like a tiny Pirates of the Caribbean type m- moment inside the show building. It, like just a nugget. Like just a Yeah, taste. like falling statues and pillars and yeah. just a bunch of fire effects. But honestly, that's just the cool thing about yeah. it. It's so unique. Like the fact it and to this day, it's just such it was just such a choice. It's opened the same year as um Port Aventura, and I think of it as like a perfect sibling to to Tuki Splash. It really Splash. is Tuki Splash, just smaller. This is what smaller. And when I wrote when I wrote it, I was like, oh my god, this is what Tuki Splash should feel like if if that ride was actually being maintained, because they were contracted at the same time and both have like amazing potential. Yeah, for sure. And as the shoot the shoot rides start to disappear, like the really basic ones, the paperclip shaped ones are going away, and I don't think people really miss them that badly. Grateful for like these nice expanded versions like Escape from Pompeii and Tutti Splash that are like quintessential Bush Gardens type attractions. And it's a kind of a shame that the one at Bush Gardens Tampa couldn't stick around longer. But that was a retrofit from an existing Jungle Cruise type ride. So they said like the fix was in and that was that. So Hopefully before the, uh, the episode becomes too long, we're going to uh, jump to the next topic and we're just going to ask ourselves what does their lineup need the most? For me, I think it's, well, I want to hate being cliche and seeing a dark ride. Oh, I was, was going to say, we should say it like on a count of three, say it at the same time. I was going to say, say dark ride too. But maybe, <laughs> maybe not anymore. Maybe that's not what Bush stands for anymore. Um, I would like a good drop ride. A I, don't, drop yeah. ride. I don't know if every park necessarily needs a dark ride because Magic Mountain, like there's six flags parks with dark rides and they're just kind of there. Like I don't, my experience at a six flags park is, is not, is not really does not have any relationship to the Justice League shooting dark ride. A great dark ride gives amazing dimension to a park that wouldn't otherwise have that dimension. But I don't necessarily feel like every park is incomplete without a dark ride. I almost feel like just having one dark ride almost feels that 
It almost feels like if folks to park is so elsewhere that it's almost like hard to support the dark ride. It isn't until you have like a good dark ride selection yeah. that I'm like, all right, dark ride. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I don't know if I necessarily need it. Uh, and like, maybe if we had ridden Curse of Dark Castle, I'd feel differently and feel like, oh, this park needs a replacement for that ride. But I feel like Dark Coaster is the replacement. Dark Coaster is a dark ride in the tradition of like movie park Germany where all of their rides do double duty as a coaster and a dark ride or a shoot the shoot and a dark ride or a rapids ride. That's also a dark ride. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having non-traditional dark rides, rides with that are in the dark with scenes that tell a story and you're using a different method of conveying that story, whether it's a, a wet ride, like a splashdown type wet ride or a roller coaster. So, so now what, what would you say they're missing the most? I would say that a drop tower is something that would yeah. benefit them dramatically, but I actually think they just need a couple more flat rides. I think Da Vinci's Garden of Inventions is like, with 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 the Da Vinci's Cradle gone, like it's really missing something. But add them on the Fran side, though, the park. I don't know. I kind of feel like, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe the, because batter, uh, Da Vinci's Cradle didn't open with the Garden of Inventions, the balloon ride was there, and then they moved the balloon ride to the other side of the midway and added the little glider ride too, to give the area five little rides. And now it's like there's a vacancy. I want vacancies that are clearly an obstruction to be filled. And I would actually say that Da Vinci's Cradle's vacancy is more obvious than Mock Tower's, because now Mock Tower, where Mock Tower was, is like a sitting area that's actually pretty cute. We sat there and ate pretzels. It's right. kind of easy to forget that there was ever a ride there. So I wouldn't even say that they need a drop tower, at least not where Mock Tower was, as badly as they just need a couple more spinny rides, like one in Italy somewhere and then like one in France. And because I don't think they're going to build a drop tower. I don't think they can market it the right way unless it had a gimmick like Falcon's Fury and they're not going to build that. Fair. So what do you think is the park's biggest weakness then? <sighs> That's a good question. I think for me the weakness is that their lineup is not very varied. It's really not that varied. Like it's a gorgeous park, and even though it consistently wins America's prettiest theme park, which I think is the most beautiful, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Like it's a gorgeous theme park. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think their lineup is just it's it's a simple lineup. I mean, we managed to talk about it for an hour, yes, but at the same time, I think that um, um, besides the big coasters and and a couple of flats, there isn't. A whole lot, maybe even like a cool walkthrough, like something different. Maybe I think I feel like perhaps it just misses just like a bit of a spark for me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's I kind of weird to say. For me, their biggest weakness is that their their number of rides never seems to increase. They have plateaued to a point, and maybe I'm just nitpicking. I think there's probably other great parks that are also guilty of this, but I feel like Busch Gardens Williamsburg, like. No matter how many rides they build, it feels like the number of rides they have always stay the same. And for a park as massive as it is, it feels like there should be more to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it's kind of in the same vein. Yeah. Like, I feel like almost all of their major coasters, I would say Pantheon was, was a surprise that it was built somewhere that didn't already have an attraction existing. But, like, for at one point, like, when Drakenfire, they, when they gave up the ghost on Drakenfire... And then the next year, they sent the Wild Mouse to Busch Gardens Tampa. They had four coasters. They definitely need to add um, 
Makosa over to Dragon. And they've Fire made Spot, great improvements Both overall the in their coaster collection. But every time they add a coaster, they also lose a ride. Like, they still, in my mind, they still have, like you said, in my mind, they still have not actually replaced Drakenfire. Because they're putting coasters in other places at the expense of other rides. That I feel like they're going to. I think they're saving that plot for like a very obvious, massive expansion. Yeah. I'm thinking the next, um, you know, the next Elven guys at their times, the next yeah. Dragon Dragonfire. Um, even a Fantown could have been that. I don't know if that was their focus on that or they just got a good deal. Um, either way. Because, you know, they've been adding so many instruments lately. I feel like yeah. maybe it was just a good deal they got. I guess what I'd say, I, I hope that going, like, I hope all of the, pro- and I get that there's rides that just need to be replaced. There's vacancies that need to be filled. But now it's like, they they went through the trouble, like, we got rides like Pantheon and stuff, and even Tempesto, which didn't replace a ride. But Tempesto was also added. Those Pantheon and Tempesto were added to an area of the park that had already lost rides that didn't get replacements. Um, like, with gladiators gauntlet and so it, it feels like there's a lot of like long-term vacancies that are being filled granted there some of these rides are getting like major upgrades like they're replacing flat rides with roller coasters everybody loves that that's awesome but then i feel like they also need to go back and fill some of these gaps and like they need to the park needs an overall increase in attractions instead of just constantly replacing smaller rides with bigger rides or older rides with newer rides so I think that kind of leads me to their biggest strength, though, because at least their coaster collection is very, very strong. Ironclad. I don't think there's anything there that they have that's disposable coaster-wise, and I'm talking not the kitty coaster, of course. Except for Tempesto, but Tempesto... Even Tempesto, I feel like it weirdly works for them. It really works for them, and it doesn't waste any space. I mean, it literally... You couldn't put anything else every try. Like, it's just in between support points. For a ride that... Like I like I mentioned before, kind of t- checks a flat ride box. It's pretty dope. And having the three cars honestly makes the ride a lot more makes the ride a lot more intense. Yeah. So I think that um, all their coasters they just they just count. And I think for Bolton and Dark Horse are great examples of really doing the theming thing well, which is maybe why yeah. the Dark Ride isn't even that needed. It's almost like just the yeah the move our Germany effect where. Um, if well, yeah, when coaster, you've got rides like it. Escape from Pompeii too, it's right, like you it's don't true. need. A traditional yeah, if you dark have ride. dark ride elements throughout the rides, then perhaps that's all you need. So I think the biggest strength is that what they have does count, and I think it's the same for Bush Gardens, Tampa, or yeah. you know most Sea World parks. Yeah, so the ride collection may not be big, but I think what they have does Slaps. matter. And um, I think that's Bush Gardens, Williamsburg's biggest strength. It's a very pretty park. It's got really big, major, notable roller coasters, and um, I can't wait to go back. What do you think? What's your favorite area? What's the, what's your favorite country? Let's say that there's four countries: Germany, Italy, France, England, or oh, United Kingdom. Germany. Germany. Okay, me too. I mean, think of. I mean, yeah. even though there's like the same amount of coasters as Italy, I feel like I care yeah. about the coasters. Yeah, all, all three of them almost. Because uh, when you, when I think about the when you combine the two neighborhoods in Germany into one area, you have like a really well-rounded oh, little park right there. there. Yeah, with like three very distinct roller coasters in a hybrid version. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's yeah good yeah um one thing i do want to say though is that that coaster is like a bush garden stampa at least it's like the coasters all have their own room to breathe because bush garden stampa's coaster collection is so spread out yeah um there is very much a bleeding of themes where you have your you know german alps and your oh it's Mediterranean such a france, france and your loch ness monster all like yeah sharing it's kind of a beautiful excess if you're a coaster enthusiast and you've got like that 
collision, the power clash of like the yellow track, the blue track, the but white track with blue supports. But it's like, yeah. it's busy. It's, it's, busy. it's a lot. But I don't <laughs> want to end with a negativity. I think that, again, the strength is that their lineup is very, the very strong. strength is that they've got... Some of the like if you're looking at like average quality of your coastal lineup, it's very very high. Yeah, if you're looking for a top tier BNM hyper, no, it's like a good album that doesn't have 16 tracks but 10 tracks, but all 10 tracks all tight, and there's no like filler. Yeah, it's like a good George Michael album where like there's only nine songs, but you could but like yeah, but every song is certified multiple platinum. That's kind of this part. Boom. Yeah. And it's a platinum pass holder, by the way, for SeaWorld Park. Yeah. You get free quick queue. Yeah. Anywho, um, so make sure to uh, rate us on Spotify, on preferably Apple Podcasts. We, really we need more stars. reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you leave a review, we'll give you a big old shout out. <laughs> and then make sure you follow us on, on the usual threads, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and we'll see you on thecoastofkings.com. We'll see you next week with another episode of Coast of Kings Radio every Wednesday. Minnesota's every Monday. Bonus episodes on Fridays. Wow. Depending on when the bonuses wow. are coming out. Awesome. Busy, busy, busy. Biggest season? Yes. We were just discussing it earlier during our, our day of recording. We went through our, our big schedule and, you know, we have three mini-sode series coming up. We've got Ian joining us, Sven, our, our usual podcast host that's with us. He has his own mini-sode series this season. And then on the road from Spain, our correspondent has his own mini-sode series. we got all that coming up, all these specials, 2024 coasters interviews it's, it's so much is happening so follow us give us a good review share the podcast with others and we'll catch you next week bye bye